Amen. Thanks to Misha. Thank the team this morning. I tell you, today is just kind of like for me, it felt like just the worship was just, you just was able to just drink. You just could just, all, all the songs, you just able to just soak it in, drink uh, the presence of the Lord. And uh, I'm so thankful that, that we have that. Amen. You know, I've gone to places where the team's trying to show you how good they can sing. And don't mistake anything. I, we want to sing good, right? We don't want to sing bad. But, you know, if you walk up on the, you know, you were standing out with someone and they just started staring up at the sky and you're looking at them, I promise you're going to do this. You're going to look up. You're going to try to see what they're seeing. And to me, that describes what a worship team does. They get on the stage and they just start looking up. They just start worshiping the Lord because they're minstrels, they're psalmists. It's just part of who God has wired them to be, and they're, they're, they're skillful in that. And while they're looking up, then we start looking up. And before long, this whole place is focused on who it's supposed to be focused on, and that's the Lord himself. Would you give him praise? Would you give the Lord praise? Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Johanna, for uh, filling in for me last week as I was able to... <laughs> She did an awesome job, I was told, and uh, I told her the other day when I texted her and told her I wanted her to minister, I said, we can't have these folks thinking that women can't preach now, you've you got to get up in there. How I many of those women can preach the gospel too, amen, amen. God is an equal opportunity caller, amen. He calls men and women into the gospel. So we thank God for Johanna. Bless her one more time. We love her. She's an amazing woman. Uh, today we're going to entitle this Fighting the Right Battle. Some of you probably know this. Uh, some of you, it will come as a shock to you. Uh, but Satan has been defeated. Now there's a lot of Christians don't know that. They don't know it, so they'll do a lot of spiritual warfare. He's already been defeated. You don't have to defeat him again. Jesus defeated him. But if you don't believe he's defeated, then you'll spend and waste a lot of time trying to defeat a defeated foe. Now, the Bible does mention warfare, but what, what is popularly taught today about spiritual warfare is so far from the Bible that it's just ridiculous. And you're looking at a guy who spent a decade or so involved in that kind of foolishness out of ignorance. I just didn't know any better. Everybody else was fighting him. I thought I'd join the battle. You know what I'm saying? And so they were trying to, you know, dethrone principalities and powers and let's go over here and go over there and let's go on a prayer walk and let's take this city back for God or let's do this or let's do that as if Jesus didn't accomplish what he came to do. And there's clear scripture that said he did. Now what our job is, is not to lay around and act like the devil doesn't exist, because he surely does exist, but we are to enforce the victory that has been won. We are not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. I'm not here today to tell you there's not a fight. In fact, the title of the message is Fighting the Right Battle. And you can fight the wrong battle. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 18, 19, and 20 says, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. 
And he says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the what kind of warfare? Good warfare. So there's good warfare, there's bad warfare. Now, I don't have time, boy, there's so much packed in these few little verses, but let me just say this because it mentions prophecies. How many of you have ever had someone, that you, and you believed it was from God, the word that they gave you, they prophesied over you, they prophesied a word to you. Could I see your hand? Uh, most of you. And, and my hand goes up as well. And I've received prophecies. How many have not seen the fulfillment of all those prophecies yet? And my hand is up as well. Now, sometimes you can just, I'm going to just say it like this. Prophecies is like Moses going into the slavery place of Egypt. In other words, where the Hebrews are in slavery. And they had been slaves as a people for 430 years. So Moses goes in as a prophet and he prophesies something to him. He says, I'm going to lead you out of this place. You're going to be set free. And you're going to go to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then once he does lead them out, they go into a desert for three days and they don't even have a drink of water. So what does that mean? Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes when you receive a prophetic word, what you will experience after that is the exact opposite of what was prophesied. And you'll have to decide what you're going to believe. Are you going to believe your present circumstances or are you going to believe what God said to you? And if you believe what God said to you, then you're going to have to fight for that. You're going to have to fight to hold on to the word of the Lord and not relinquish the hope that is within you. Because sometimes even though you've been prophesied milk and honey, you're walking through a dry place. Maybe, and not of your choosing, not because you've sinned or anything like that. You're just, God's just leading you through the wilderness into what he's promised you. And don't doubt, don't doubt God. Believe what he said to you. But Paul told Timothy, maybe Timothy was starting to, to doubt. He was a timid guy, we can see from Scripture. He just said, don't doubt. Make war with those prophecies, son, that was said to you. And he says in verse 19, having faith and a good conscience. Those two things go together. If you have faith in Christ, you're going to have a good conscience because you know you're not standing in your own righteousness and your own ability. If you don't have faith in God, if you have faith in you, you're not going to have a good conscience. But if you have faith in God, you're going to have a good conscience, which a good conscience leads to confidence before the Lord. And it says, but some have rejected this concerning the, the faith, not their faith, the faith, having suffered shipwreck. Now, what does it mean to shipwreck your faith or shipwreck the faith? We're going to talk about that. And then Paul gets specific and he names two guys that were shipwrecking the faith, not their faith, but the faith. Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So we'll talk about what some of these <clears throat> verses mean after we pray. Amen. It's always good to pray. Father, we thank you that we're loved by you. We thank you that you not only loved the world, but you so loved it, that you gave Jesus. We thank you for that redemption, the power that is in the gospel of the good news. And Paul said he wasn't ashamed of that gospel, for it's, that's the real power of God unto salvation. So I pray today that that power would be manifested as your word and your truth goes forth. We ask it, declare it, and decree it. In the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, everybody said. Now shake somebody's hand, give them a big smile, tell them how good they're looking today. Say, man, you're looking good. You clean up nice, you're looking tight. You're looking clean, you're looking tight. All right, tell them.
God bless you. As I said, many people don't know the truth about Satan's defeat. And unfortunately, in fact, many Christians are the very instrument uh, that the devil is using to foster the deception that he is still a powerful foe. I remember growing up in church, and there would be times that people would say to me, you know, you better be careful, or the devil's powerful, or the devil has power, they would say. And so to me, when I grew up as a young man in church, I kind of saw God here and the devil right here, and there was a war going on. We was kind of caught in the crossfire between God and Satan, and God had a little more power than the devil, but devil was pretty powerful as well, and the fight was on. And that is so far from the truth of Scripture that it's, it's just not even really worthy of mention. But we, Satan has already been defeated, and that's what the Bible teaches us. And we, don't, we do not have to defeat him again. What we need to do is to believe that Satan has already been completely defeated, just like the Bible teaches. It says that in Hebrews 2 and 14. We won't necessarily read that one. But it says there that when Jesus went to the cross, and he suffered in his own flesh. He defeated and destroyed, actually it says, the one who had power over death, and that's Satan. He actually destroyed that power and that fear. And, uh, and so what we have to do is simply enforce his defeat. And we do that by believing what God says. The only power that Satan has is the power to deceive people. And, and our battle, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, that's that great little stretch about putting on the whole armor and all that stuff. But Ephesians 6 and 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The wiles of the devil. You're not, there's never, not, there's not one verse in the New Testament that says you're to fight the devil. So if you're fighting the devil, you're, you're, I mean, how sad that is for you to be beaten up on somebody who's already been defeated. Okay, you, you do not fight the devil. There's no command in the scripture for you to fight the devil. Okay, you resist him, and he'll do what? Flee from who? From the person that resists him. So what are you resisting? The lies. You, you, you put on the armor to stand against the wiles of the devil, not the power of the devil. What, what, what is that? It's, you're not fighting the devil himself. And listen, any other approach uh, is actually giving the devil authority and power which he does not have. And then he uses that to manipulate you through fear. Uh, the only weapon Satan has is to get you to believe his lies. Now listen, if you believe the lie of the enemy, you empower the liar. Now, there are too many Christians that are so terrified of the devil. Now, one reason I'm preaching this is because I want to. Second reason, I've had two people in the last two weeks to send me stuff asking me, can a Christian have a demon? First off, why would you want one? And what this one person was listening to, and I, and I, I admire this man. I admire this man's uh, ministry. Uh, he sure has a lot bigger platform than I do, and uh, but he uh, and actually this guy sent me uh, this guy's message and I think it was YouTube or something anyway. And I took the time on this case to to actually listen to the guy's teaching, and I'd heard his teaching before, not on that subject, but I, I totally disagree with him on that particular subject because he taught thousands of people and through his television ministry that Christians can have a demon. And there is not one New Testament occurrence of that. Not one. 
Paul never mentioned it, and nobody else did. There are some verses that people misinterpret to try to, to try to prove that a Christian can have a demon. You can't have a demon because you have made, been made one spirit with the Lord. Greater is he that is within you than he that's in the world. I can go on and on with scriptures that absolutely refute that possibility. The people that you see in the Bible, they are not, that are demon possessed or have a demon or need deliverance from a demon are people that are unsaved. An unsaved person can be possessed by a demon spirit, but not a believer. Your heart is not a duplex. There's not one side for the devil and one side for God. God would no more allow that to happen. Nobody can pluck you from his hand. Romans 8 teaches us that there's nothing able to separate you from the love of God. Not principalities, not powers, not rulers of darkness, not wickedness. Nothing can do that. But if you don't know that, and I've said over decades, I've watched Christians do have deliverance ministry. Do you not believe in deliverance, Brother Dale? Yes, but not your crazy messed up kind of deliverance I'm, no I have seen people demon possessed uh, I don't I don't you know necessarily want to see one today if you have one just hang on to him to later <clears throat> I have seen that but these were unbelievers these were unbelievers I've had that happen a few times where I have in, in according to the word of God cast out a demon I don't counsel them out. I don't, I don't pray them out. I don't negotiate them out. You cast them out. You do what the Bible says. You cast them out. And uh, I, I, so I've had, I've had that happen. So I, I don't have time. If I tell those stories, it'll, it'll let me go too long. So just suffice it to say I've done that. But after I cast out the demon, then what I did is we, they received Christ as their Lord and Savior. So the problem you're having in your life don't sit around and think as a believer that, do I have a demon? Now, you're looking at a Christian that I wrestle with that some, and especially in my early Christianity, because I was around so many people was always trying to, you know, say, well, you need deliverance. You need to get a devil cast out. You need this. You need that. What you need is the truth. Now, Jesus didn't say, if we cast the devil out of you, you'll be free. You shall know the truth. John 8, you will know the truth. And what is it that makes you free? The truth shall set you free. So if you want people free, tell them the truth. The truth of Jesus, not the truth that we think is tr the truth of the Bible, the truth of the Word of God. That's what sets you free. Anything else will keep you in bondage. So what sets people free is truth. You don't need a power encounter. You need a truth encounter. And, and, and so you, that's, that's, the, that's what Jesus said. You shall know the truth. But if you, you don't know the truth, you won't be free in that area. You'll be in bondage. You'll be believing a lie. You'll be trying, you know, and so then you can spend a lot of time trying to get somebody to cast a devil out of you that you don't even have. Man, I spent time with people. They would look, you know, one time like my kid, you know, when Austin, my youngest son, first got diagnosed with, when he was 18 with a heart problem and uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. That's a big word, isn't it? And we discovered that officially through Emory University when he was 18 and anyway just had some battles going on with him and a few times I followed the ambulance all the way to Atlanta behind him and I remember standing at his feet one time now, I was a paramedic for 20 years so I understand a lot of the medical th stuff that's going on and I remember one time I had my hand on both of his ankles that's the only place they would allow me to get in the emergency room 
and I was watching the gauges, and they're trying to get him out of atrial fib and stuff like that. And, I, and I, one time I even asked him, I said, please don't kill my son trying to save him. And, uh, and then, you know, back at my church that I pastored, not this church, at that time I had some brothers who wanted to meet with me and pray with me, for, you know, about my son. And I, I praise God. I'm for that. And I get up in a room, and then they, you want to say, because I got Cherokee Indian in my background, that that's why that my son's got a heart problem. So they want me to confess all of that and try to get clean of that. and That's dumb as dirt. But do you know I didn't know any better, really? I mean, you, you got to be careful what you tell desperate people. You don't understand that people has got hurt going on in their life, sickness in their life. They, they don't care what the name of your church is. They, they, they just want to be delivered out of that. They want to be free from that. And you got to be careful what you tell people that are going through tough times. So here we spend time praying, you know. Well, I'm, I guess I'm sorry that my granddaddy was a Cherokee Indian. I mean, whatever. That's so stupid. I'm not playing none of them games no more. Jesus has set us free. But if you don't know that he's won the victory over Satan, you're going to spend a lot of time. So, I'm, and, and I know this is going to make some people probably aggravated, but I'm good at that. I don't have to get a thousand people praying for God to hear me. I'm not against getting people to pray. I'm not against prayer chains specifically. I am against the way most people view prayer. It is non-New Testament viewing. God is not a judge. God is not a politician. He is a father. He is not, he's not the Godfather. He don't break legs and shoot people to get your attention. He don't make your washing machine tear up. He don't wreck your car or hurt your kids to get you to come to church. He's a loving father. Everything he does is love and, and good. And Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. Figure out which side's going doing what. And don't get yourself confused. But you got to see that there's so much false teaching out there about Satan's power, Satan is, Satan that. And I'm not saying he doesn't exist, but the only weapon Satan has is the power we give him if we believe his lies. And so warfare only takes place between two undefeated foes, right? So if we got warfare going on, then that means Satan's not defeated because there's a war going on. Once an enemy has been conquered, the war is over. Satan is a defeated foe, yes or no? Okay, so I'm not going to get a million people to pray because if we get a million signatures, God will answer the prayer. If you're one of those Christians that think that if I get 100 people praying for my sick kid instead of me just praying, and if I got a hundred people praying, I got a better chance of getting an answer. You got a messed up view of God. I didn't get near as many amens. Thank you for that one on the second row. And I don't mean that mean, and I used to be that guy as well. We need to get as many people praying as we can, man. Why? Why? I'd be like mine when I had kids when they were small at home. They come to me for an urgent need. I'm their dad. And they ask me for it. Nah. I go, nah. 
I don't think so. I don't feel like it right now. So they go all through the neighborhood getting kids to sign a petition. And they come back with 30 kids' signature on there, and then they present that to me. I go, well, you've worked hard on it. I'll probably answer it now. Do you think that's how God is? So do you think there's power in a thousand people praying more than one person praying? So you don't even know how to answer that. Bring me some water, baby. Come on now. Thank you, brother. Listen, guys. Are you, I'm not against a thousand people praying, but I am against you thinking you've got to have a thousand people to pray to get your loving father to answer your prayer. You don't need the guy that you think can get a prayer through. If you're, if you're born again, your prayer is already through. You just don't have confidence in your prayer. You don't have faith because your faith and confidence goes together or your faith and a good conscience, which leads to confidence goes together. That's what Paul said. And you can shipwreck the faith. Your faith is not to be in you. The faith is in Jesus. It's faith in, in, in the fact that he's a good father. Are you all okay with this? So I'm, most of the way most folks teach spiritual warfare, I mean, you're still trying to whip that devil. Or you're trying to say, well, we've got a principality or a ruler or some big gigantic demon kind of deal over here somewhere in this city, and so we need to go over there and dethrone that principality. Anybody ever heard this kind of teaching? So we need to go over and dethrone this. Years ago here, we were asked to host a thing where they were trying to get people to pray, you know, and I want to get real specific about their titles and all, but it was just Christian. They just wanted to use our Valdosta location at this church as a prayer hub. And it was concerning elections and just the government and the United States. And, and so uh, Pastor Hanna asked me about it, and I said, sure, why not? And so we had a midweek meeting. I'm not sure what night it was on, uh, but we, we just basically our church, we hosted that meeting. And as, as a senior pastor, I felt responsibility to be here. And so I came. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I didn't have anything to do with the service, uh, you know, but I came and attended. And about halfway through the service, I saw where this thing was going. And from the rest of the time, I just had my head down looking at the carpet saying, oh, God, hurry up and get this over with. This is like getting your teeth filled without Novocaine here. And, and the people that were leading the meeting that are prayer intercessors and warriors and all that, they, they just told the most ridiculous stories. And, and listening to them, the devil has not been defeated and that they needed, this person had to do something. So this person went somewhere and got a certain object and they got three or four objects. One of the objects was a Georgia peach seed. And they buried these things in the ground at a place in Washington. And because they did these three things and they buried these th three things in the ground, now the spirit of the Lord was free to move in the state of Georgia. I was about to vomit on the front row. Not only was I getting sick, now I'm getting angry. And you ain't supposed to get angry in church. But I was really sick of it. Now, some of my folks here, I don't know, they were all getting excited. They were, yeah, praise God. <laughs> Man, y'all got to cut that mess out and quit getting caught up in that mess. You telling me because you buried some things in the ground? Man, I watched an episode of Andy Griffith one time with the darlings and know that ain't right. They put the incantation on it and buried it in the dirt, you know. 
And that girl tried to marry Andy just because she buried something in the ground. Got her, just crazy stuff. As silly as that is, that's what we're involved in in the Christian community a lot of times. You're telling me because you went to Washington and buried a Georgia peach in the ground, now we can get a prayer through in Georgia? Man, that's witchcraft, dude. I said, that's witchcraft. That's incantation. I mean, I mean, so we had to wait for you to be born to find that Georgia peach to bury it, to get free. We need to worship you. You're the Messiah. See what, listen guys, what that does is it blasphemes. Paul told that these two guys were blaspheming. What's blaspheming? You're, you're bringing a lie against you. You're saying that Jesus' blood didn't do anything. That, that when he says that he dethroned, disarmed principalities and powers, that he really didn't. That, that, that what he did wasn't enough. That now you got to do something. No, you have to stand and believe in what he did, and you have to speak the word of God, and you enforce the victory. But you're acting like that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross didn't accomplish what it said. Colossians chapter 2, 15. And I'd like to, I'll do it first in New King James, and I'd like for y'all to pull it up in the message if you can. But it says here, Colossians 2, 15, Paul's writing again. This is what he said Jesus did on the cross. He said, having disarmed principalities and powers. Now let's just stop there. Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. What are you trying to go after principalities why you want to go on a prayer journey and a prayer walk to disarm principalities? You're telling me that Jesus left it undone. Now you got to go and do something to make a principality get gone. See, when you do that and you teach that and you get involved in that, you actually empower principalities and powers. They're defeated, but now they go, look at here, they're empowering us through fear they believe in us. See, some of you resist the devil and he don't flee because you're resisting him out of fear, not out of faith. You don't resist him because you're scared of him. You resist him because he ain't got any power. You resist him like a, a gnat that lands on you. <laughs> you can tell you from the south if you know how to do that. Northern people, they'll be, they'll be down here doing all <laughs> In the south, gnat lands on them. We just do that and they just, anyway. Jesus disarmed if a person's been disarmed, they don't have any weapons anymore, right? If a policeman disarms a suspect, they don't have any weapons anymore. So Satan's been disarmed. No weapons. He made a public spectacle. Public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. Now look at what Colossians, same verse, Colossians, the uh, 2.15 message version it's going to paint a little bit better picture. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in, their, in the universe of their sham authority at the cross. Where did he do this? At the cross. And marched them naked through the streets. Now look at me. In the time that Paul's writing this, the, these people were very familiar with how any conquering king done his enemy. Romans were great at it. And, and, and so did the Jews. So they would conquer a king, and listen to me, and they would march this king back through in a, in a parade through the streets of their city. And they would cut off his right thumb of both hands, and they would cut off his great toe, the big toe of both feet. 
and they would march him barefoot through the city. And that would be the king or the that nation. And they would be saying, he can never hold a sword again. Don't fear him. He can never run again. We cut off his toe. Don't fear him. He can never chase you. He can never run again. And he can never hold a sword against you anymore. He is defeated. We put him on public display. We made a public spectacle of his defeat. He has been disarmed. He has been defeated. You don't have to fear him anymore. We have conquered him. He's been destroyed. Now, a lot of Christians miss the parade. That's what Jesus said he did with Satan. He, he took away his authority. And in fact, Revelation says Jesus took the, the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Satan has no power to bring anybody into bondage anymore. I, come on, praise God. That's the truth. And so that procession has happened, and that's what Paul's talking about. And that's, that's what happened to the devil. And God did it before the whole universe. And so Satan, yes, he's still alive, and we do have to reckon with him, but only because he has so many lies circulating about his power against us. And, and, and these are all lies, and that's where Satan's power lies, is if you empower him by believing his lies. Now, some Christians, listen to me, some actually spend more time in their prayer time talking to the devil than they do to God. Because their focus is binding Satan, I bind you, I bind this, I rebuke you, devil. And if you just, if you could just record yourself praying one day and play it back, see how many times you say the devil in your prayer, and see how many times you say Jesus. Hmm. God has given you authority. He's given you His authority, and that's why James four seven says, "If you resist the devil, he will flee from you." Now, how does the devil deceive us? How does he cause us problems? Second Corinthians chapter eleven verse three. 2 Corinthians 11 and 3, Paul says this. Paul said, now listen, church. He said, listen, I fear lest somehow, he said, as the serpent deceived Eve by his what? Not by his power, but by his craftiness. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, Paul said, now listen, guys. Come on, church. He's talking to the church at Corinth. He says, in other words, Satan tries to make us think that the gospel is harder than it really is. He, he complicates it, he confuses it, and he does whatever it takes to distract you from Jesus. Now, how, how many has ever heard this statement? We, we've had all the preaching we need. We, we just need to pray. Or there'll be whole prayer movements. All they want the Christians to do is just to gather in a place and lock away and just pray for hours and days and months and years or whatever. And I believe in praying. But you praying in the floor at your church, unless that person that you're praying for hears the truth, they're not going to be free. Unless they hear the gospel with their own ears, they're not going to be born again. So you're going to have to pray and then get up off the floor and go say something to them. That's good preaching, Pastor Dale. Just keep on, buddy. That's the truth. You're going to have to say something. Paul said, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall be, if somebody tells them, Paul said, they, they got to hear it. You got to say it. So Satan don't care how long you pray or how long your prayer meeting is. And he loves Christians to pray hours and months and years, especially fruitless, futile, benign prayers. Where we spend time praying for what we already have. So we pray for open heavens. 
So we pray for a move of God. So we pray for God to pour out his spirit upon us. <laughs> Has God already poured out his spirit? Have you ever read Acts 2? He poured it out. Well, I don't feel it. You ain't supposed to, feel, supposed to know it. Man, if I was unsaved every day I felt unsaved, I'd be unsaved more than I'm saved. As far as how this body feels. I'm not saved by feeling, I'm saved by faith. Amen. See, you got to understand that we, we don't need to engage. You, you know one time I got caught up in this stuff, and, and you look at that time years ago when I was pastoring, I dedicated, Pastor Keith would know this, several would know this, my wife of course, but at the church I pastored, we had a second floor, and I set up a prayer center. I tied into a worldwide prayer network and a world prayer center. Didn't we? we? I had a dedicated phone line just for prayer where people could call in. We were on TV at that time, so people could call in from the, our television program and request prayer, but people could call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, we didn't always have somebody manning that phone, but they, they recorded the prayer request. We would write down the prayer request. There were times I had teams of people praying 24 hours a day around the clock that would come in, and they would come in, you know, and just take shifts, and they would come in, they would look on the bulletin board, get the prayer request, and they would go and pray. And we did this for a long time. And that cost money. And, it, and, and we were paying a fee to be connected with this worldwide prayer. And if any world events happened, they, they, we, we got an email immediately. And we would, we would alert the prayer team. Say, don't, don't look at me like I don't believe in prayer. Okay? Now, I don't believe in it to the level I was practicing. And then because we were trying to. And then this same organization sent me stuff. And they wanted me to do spiritual mapping of my town and my area. And they wanted me to do like a, uh, to figure out the demonic heritage of area, you know, like who did what that was bad. <laughs> it got to be more work then. I mean, what? You want me to do what? There's books, I promise you. You can go, don't do it now while I'm preaching, but you can go online this afternoon and type Google and spiritual mapping. You'll probably find 30 books out there on how to do it. Popular authors out there. Sells a lot of books because it scares the heck out of Christians. And they're trying to get their city free. Man, Jesus set your city free. <laughs> Jesus doesn't set your city free. He just wants you to enforce the victory. Man, I can't believe I was caught up in all that mess, man. Spiritual mapping. Historical demonic activity in your area. Christians feel good, man, when they're busy, though, bro. You know what I'm talking about? You just give a Christian some busy work. Y'all just hang on, wait for the rapture. Y'all just stay real busy, you know, and, and just that, that way you ain't got to do nothing that really brings fruit. Just stay busy. Beg God for what he already gave you. Act like you didn't get it. Act like Jesus didn't accomplish what he's come when he said it's finished. Jesus, didn't, Jesus said it's almost finished, and y'all finish it up for me. All that stuff, man, I'm just so tired of all that. It's time for us believe the Bible, to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and enforce through faith in him the victory that he purchased with his own blood on that cross and stand in that light that we've got a victorious Savior who has triumphed over the enemy and give, given us his authority over that devil and we're to stand. Now see some of you, like when, and, and I'm not saying the enemy won't attack. Now, even the Apostle Paul said in the New Testament, he said, I desired to come to this such and such city 
at a such and such time that Satan hindered. So don't Paul said, hey, man, I wanted to be there, you know, like yesterday, but Satan hindered me. He didn't say Satan stopped me, but he said he hindered me. Now, I wonder how Satan hinders people. It'd be like this. Remember when the Paul was going to sail to Rome and it said he, he said the, the Lord appeared to me and showed me that I'd have to stand before Caesar at Rome? And Paul, Paul was visited by the Lord in a vision. And Paul was told by God that you're going to stand in Rome and you're going to appear before Caesar. Because and, and, I, I need you to bear witness to, to, the, to the most powerful man in the world at that time. Okay, so Paul believed in that, right? So now they, they go to, to put him on the boat and to set sail, and the Spirit of the Lord revealed to him that this, this voyage, is, we're not to take this voyage, this is at the latter part of the book of Acts, we're not to take this voyage. And Paul says, let's don't do it. And the Bible said that they, uh, the majority, <laughs> of course we always know the majority is right, right? No, we don't. The majority, it says, it uses the word majority, gave heed not to Paul, to the captain of the vessel, and he said, we're, we're going to set sail anyway. Now, how many knows that voyage didn't end well? As far as the boat, thing got shipwrecked, crashed, bro broke all up, and they all had to drift into the island. Now, remember when the storm was going on, and even the experienced sailors thought that they were going to die. Paul wasn't afraid. Now, why wasn't Paul afraid even though death was all around him? Because he had a promise from God. And the promise was you're going to appear before Caesar. So Paul was kind of like this, I believe. Paul's like, you know, everything around me says we're going to die. But you know what? As I think about it, I hadn't been to Rome and I hadn't talked to Caesar yet. So no matter what, how this thing goes, I'm going to live. <laughs> because I, I got to go to Rome and I hadn't been to Rome. So this ain't going to kill me. See, that helps you go through some stuff. See, when you got a promise from God and you know that you hadn't seen all the promise yet, you can just stand in the most difficult times and go, you know what, I hadn't seen the fulfillment of this yet, so this ain't the end. No matter what Satan says or what it looks like or what it feels like, this is not the end of my journey. This is not the end of my story. It's not going to end right here. And that's, that's how you make war with your prophecies. You remember. And I don't care if somebody called you out and prophesied to you individually or you just read your Bible and got a promise from God and you took that promise as truth. Then hold on to that. And don't relinquish the hope that's in you. Amen? And so Paul made it to Rome. But just think about that. There was a hindering. He didn't get there in a timely manner. So Satan can hinder, but... Like, if you're supposed to go somewhere and Satan through fear hinders you from going because you're afraid, or if you're supposed, you know, you have an invitation to do something. You know, the thing that people fear more than anything, and it's been that way for decades, and when they poll people, uh, and I've seen this survey countless times, and when they survey people and say the thing that people fear more than anything else is public speaking. The number two fear is death. I'm not making this up. How many heard this? So that means that they people had rather die than do what I'm doing. Public speaking. But what if God gave you an opportunity somewhere to speak and through fear you don't do it? You know what Satan just did? He hindered you. And he hindered people from hearing the truth of your testimony of the gospel. That's how he hinders. He doesn't hinder because he's got power and comes over there and wrestles you to the ground and holds you down. <laughs> no. 
He hinders you because we believe again his lies and we're fearful in that. And so you got to see that Paul names these two guys. Now let me address this quickly. This name, Hymenius. I mean, you know, another time. <laughs> but I listen to the news occasionally. But when you hear people's name, listen, sometimes I just think if you just listen to somebody's name, you will know that you don't want to go in business with them. Like this dude, what his name, what, Madoff? <laughs> and you invest billions with this brother. And what did he do? He made off with your money. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, God's trying to tell you something just with the dude's name. Was it Bernie Madoff or whatever? I mean, whatever the guy's name. I mean, if a guy's name Madoff and you're fixing to vest with him, you just need to give it a second thought. I mean, like Jack the Ripper, I'd have known I didn't want to meet that guy just by his last name. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. But Hymenius, Alexander, Paul names these two guys. These guys are not Christians. These guys are false teachers who are teaching a false gospel, and they are corrupting not their faith, but the faith. Now, some preachers of fear who preach insecurity to the secure use this as some kind of weird proof text, they think, to prove that you can lose your salvation. It's, it never says that. Paul never says that. This, this passage doesn't say that. And, and, and what this is happening here, these are two false teachers that Paul said that they were, he, and listen, when it says that he turned him over to Satan, I, I don't know exactly what that means, but when you get to be Paul and you've had three personal tours of heaven, then you can get back with me on that. Okay, but that, that brother marched at a little bit different level. So let's keep that in mind. I don't think you can run around turning people over to Satan. There's only three people in the Bible that that's ever referred to. Now, one of them was this guy in the Corinthian church, and in 1 Corinthians, Paul said to turn that guy over to Satan. Now, that was a guy that's sleeping with his stepmom. That guy was not a believer. His life declares that. And, and the church, Paul just says, you know, and, he, and this is what he says. He says that his flesh, in other words, that his, that his flesh may be destroyed, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, a lot of Christians interpret that to mean this guy's a Christian, and so, you know, Paul turned him over to Satan so he can get cancer now, and he'll get cancer, but he'll physically die, but he'll still make it to heaven, you know, at the end. All that's lies. Bible says the law and the flesh, they, none of that goes together. If you're trying to please God with your flesh, you're already destroyed. And all Paul is saying here, he is an apostle. He, he doesn't carry the name. He carries the, the authority of the name. And what he's saying is, and, and both in, in all three of those guys, everything that Paul did was not punitive. It was never for their punishment, and it was never retribution. It was always to make things better. He says, and we know the guy in 1 Corinthians was not saved because Paul said that he may, that he may be saved, that he may be saved. If he may be saved, that means he ain't saved. So the first Corinthians guy wasn't saved. Paul said, just let that guy just deal with it out from the covering of the church so that he may be saved. He needs to understand that he can't, this is not salvation that he's involved in. It, it, this is not it. And then it says the, these two guys here, he said that they may learn not to what? Blaspheme. Who are they blaspheming? They're, they're blaspheming Jesus. 
They're blaspheming what Jesus came to do on the cross. So what does it mean then to shipwreck your faith? Paul said that this happened with these two people because, and it's not got anything to do with losing your salvation. What causes that is condemnation will cause you to be timid before God. And it will cause you to not have any kind of good conscience toward God, which will in turn cause you to have no confidence before God. And listen, if your conscience is constantly telling you that you are unworthy, that you're a hopeless Christian, that you don't deserve to be in the kingdom, uh, listen, you know what you're in danger of? Shipwrecking the faith. What the faith? The faith in Jesus that God put in you. And so Paul spent a good deal of his time at sea. So therefore he seemed to like nautical metaphors in the Bible. And remember he described um, spiritual infants. He taught, he said that they're tossed back and forth by the waves of the sea. Uh, and every wind of doctrine, remember, and every kind of false teaching. So he, he would use these metaphors like that. So, but what he's saying, if you're not secure in your father's love, then what, what that is is you won't be confident because your conscience will be in doubt to where you stand with God. Am I making any sense? And it doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation, but it's like a ship. Listen, shipwrecking the faith is like a ship that fails to reach its destination. In other words, you'll fall short of all that God has in store for you. Now, you've got to see that as a believer. Just because you're saved and when you die, you're going to heaven, that don't mean that you're walking in the fullness of where God wants you to go and God's got a plan for your life. But it don't mean he's going to snatch your salvation from you. Does this make any sense? So you can miss, you can fall short of what God's plan for you. It's, but it doesn't change God's view of you. I mean, he loves you. But God wants you to fulfill the purpose and live a fruitful, blessed, abundant life. Can you say amen? And so... What does it mean then to shipwreck the faith? It means that you're moving from a place of secure foundation of Jesus and you're deluding faith in God with faith in yourself. In other words, you're, you're putting faith in your effort and you're putting faith in your ability to perform. Now listen to me. And what that will position you in, it, you, you'll always be trying instead of trusting. You'll be trying instead of trusting. You'll be striving instead of resting. And, what, and listen, this is what Paul never said. Paul never said this. He never said, if you shipwreck your faith, you'll lose your salvation. He never said that. But preachers preach that, and they declare that, but it's not true. And so you've you got to understand that, that people that try to use this verse to, to support their evil idea that somehow that you can undo what you never did, in other words, you can't undo your salvation because you didn't save yourself. As, as we act like as though we could unfuse ourselves from the Holy Spirit who we've been made one spirit with. And that somehow that you're strong enough to, you know, pull away from God's mighty grip on your, on your spirit, on your life. Don't you think that if that could happen, the Apostle Paul would have mentioned it at least one time? I mean, but he says nothing of the kind. And, and, and I know it's a common, e even in our world today, to hear New Testament preached in such a way to instill fear and insecurity in believers. And I'm devoting my life against that. 
Paul said these two guys were blasphemers. He said these two guys are speaking slander and falsely of someone. Therefore, they're blaspheming. And, and what they're saying is stuff like this. They're saying the blood of Jesus does not avail for me when it actually does. They're saying that Jesus needs my help when he doesn't. They're saying the Holy Spirit is convicting me of sin. He is not. God will, finish, God will not finish what he has begun. He surely will finish what he begun. They're saying I can send my way out of his grace. You cannot. You cannot. Now listen, you've got to fight the right battle. Where's the battle going on? Between your ears. And Satan's trying to get you to take your mind off the simplicity of Jesus. Do you know what Satan tries to do? He tries to get with you and throw a mirror in front of you. That's what the law does. Throw up the mirror. And that way you can see all your, your, your flaws, your faults, your sin, your all, all that stuff. When you're not supposed to be looking in the mirror at all. You're supposed to be fixing your eyes upon Jesus. And you're supposed to be looking at Jesus. And when Satan accuses you of your imperfection, you're to point to the perfect one. When he accuses you of being unrighteous, you're to point to the righteous one. When he accuses you of your sin, you're to point to the one whom there is no sin. That's what you're supposed to do. That's, 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 that's where the battle is. And so I, I hope you understand that when it comes to saving you and making you acceptable to God, Jesus did it all. And, and his perfect work you can't improve on that. Uh, this, is, this is the gospel truth. And I'm telling you, it's worth fighting for. It's absolutely worth fighting. And I'm not talking about fighting people, I'm, but I'm talking about what Paul said, demolishing arguments, taking captive every thought that opposes itself against the knowledge of God and what he accomplished on the cross. That's what I'm talking about. And I want to tell you this. If someone comes at you with that mirror and tries to show you all that stuff, Man, just put, take your eyes off of that and put your eyes on Jesus. Um, next time somebody says to you, listen to him, man, you, you're not good enough for God. You, you need to improve yourself. You need to clean up your act, and then you can start going to church. Listen, you, that, that, none of that works. Another day, other day somebody wrote me this, and I, I'm, I'm closing with this. They, they, they took the words of I don't know exactly where it said. I'm still kind of working on memorizing the whole Bible. Uh but this, this statement they sent me the other day, somebody sent me, an, uh, I get so much stuff. And if you send me stuff and I don't get to it, I mean, come on, have mercy on me. You don't know how much stuff I get. <laughs> Imagine somebody handing you like 10 books a month, wants you to read them. You know, I just can't get to it, man. But, um, you know, where Jesus was talking and, and uh, of course, this before the cross, you know, Jesus is teaching them and he's talking to these scribes and Pharisees and he says, he makes this statement. Now, what he's doing, Jesus is casting out demons, and they're watching him do it. And then the, the scribes and Pharisees, they, they say, well, he's casting out devils in the name of Beelzebub. Remember that? The prince of demons. In other words, he's using demonic power to cast out demons. And Jesus is like, are y'all really that dumb? I mean, he, he, Jesus says, do you understand that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand? And then, and then Jesus throws a jab in there, man. He's talking about, he said, if... if, if if I, if I, in other words, if, if I use demonic powers to cast out demons, what did your fathers use to cast them out? <laughs> he doesn't talk about their daddy now, you know. I mean, that got them all ill. And, and, and Jesus goes on in this dialogue with these guys, 
And he says, listen, Satan can't cast out Satan. A kingdom divided won't stand. And listen, Jesus said it's like this. He said, and he cast a demon out of a man in this occurrence. And then he says this. He said, when an unclean spirit goes to parts out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finds none. He says, I will return back to my house from whence I came. It, the Bible says when he returns, he comes back to his house, brings with him seven more demons, and the latter condition of the man is worse than the first. Somebody sent me that and said that proves that Christian can have a demon. I don't know how you get that, but it does not. That message really to me is to Israel, but we'll make it even more specific. First off, Jesus is telling that in, in the context of what he's talking about here and what he's been accused of. But what Jesus is simply saying is these people that, because there were people that were demon-possessed, but let's just say a Jewish man, he's demon-possessed prior to Jesus going to the cross, whatever, and, and this Jewish exorcist tries to get him delivered, okay? And whatever he does and whatever words he says or whatever, for whatever reason, uh, the devil just departs from this person through this exorcism or whatever. But that man doesn't accept Christ. And he tries to, finds the house empty, swept, and garnished. In other words, he tries to clean up his act. He tries to make himself presentable before God. He tries to get everything in order and get his life together. You can never get your house clean enough. You can never get yourself together enough to make yourself acceptable to God by any effort that you ever do. And if you, if you stand on that, then you, you, the latter condition is worse than the first because it is much harder to deliver a religious person who thinks they're right than it is somebody that knows they're not right. Jesus is simply telling them, you've got to have life. You've, I've come that they might have life. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to give them life. Now, Christian, when I was a believer, early believer, and I feared so much because I was raised around a lot of fear mentality, not from my parents, but just a religious world. I mean, everybody, we, we, had a, we had a way too powerful devil in the church I grew up in. He was way too powerful. And you know where he got the power? From us. <laughs> Through our deluded gospel and mixed version. And, and I don't mean that intentionally. I just mean that we just threw ignorance. God says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Knowledge about what? The word of God. What you don't know can really make the journey pretty tough. And so I, I used to be tormented. I, I got involved in all kind of stuff. I don't mean, like one time my, my oldest son got, you know, he just seemed like he was having nightmares and all kind of stuff was going on and just looked like the devil just, you know, having, having his day, you know. But you know what? I didn't understand I had any authority over that. I thought I was a spectator watching it go down. I remember one night some brothers come over to help pray for my, for my son and, and uh, one of the brothers said, well, what we need to do is we need to march around your house uh, 13 times total like they did walls of Jericho. And if we'll march around your house, your son will be better. It was raining <laughs> that night. 
You remember it, don't you, baby girl? And listen, I mean this with all the sincerity I can. You don't think I marched around that house with my boy? Buddy, I marched around that house with that rain pouring down on us with our hands up. Shikamo, Shundai, shoot a mosquito, shoot a mosquito, Suzuki, Honda, and all that, all the way around my house 13 times. If you don't know what that last part meant, just forget it. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> and me and these brothers, we marched around because we, through our effort of what we was going to do, thought that would get God to deliver my boy. All it did was get us wet, cold, and by half of us sick. my boy was still being tormented. I learned that the enemy, he's real, he, he does fight. Had a man in my church one time involved in a bunch of stuff, whatever, anyway, through counseling this guy, and I actually had somebody there with me. Might have even been Pastor Keith, I can't remember. But I actually said to this man, I said, you got X number, XYZ spirit deal going on here. And that really upset that guy, and he left my office immediately when I identified you know what his deal was uh, this guy was not a believer but he sure fooled a lot of us to make us think he was just cause you can spin dance no don't mean you're a believer okay now that I knew that that guy God showed me there that guy had actually made like a doll of me and was trying to do witchcraft on me and doing, you know, whatever, voodoo, whatever, hoodoo, whatever. <clears throat> and I don't mean that, you know, you do, I mean, all of it's just, if you believe in through fear, fear empowers enemy. That night, uh, I don't know, Kristen, I know she was a teenager. She, uh, she, now, she didn't know nothing. My family didn't know what meeting, who I met with at church or whatever. I don't know what's going on with that, bringing that stuff to the house. And, I, you know, but that very night, my daughter had a tormenting dream. And that guy appeared in her dream to try to kill her. And she told me about it. That's the only night that ever happened. Because I immediately, and I, and I, I, I said, I, I command that you will not torment my daughter. She didn't have any more tormenting dreams. Uh, so I'm not saying there's not real spiritual warfare as far as that kind of harassment but if you can get you to cow down to that fear you, you, you can have your kid have them torment dreams every night you can put them in three months of counseling trying to listen you as a believer have authority over those kind of things so if you feel like the enemy's attacking your household your family your what finances whatever don't stand there with your mouth closed speak out enforce the victory you go mm -mm, no I used to hear Brother Hagen. You remember, anybody, y'all know Brother Hagen Sr.? I'd hear Brother Hagen Sr. Uh, every now and then I'll just listen to him again just to try to, glory to God, don't you see, glory to God. I mean, anyway, if you don't know him. But I'd listen to him. So I was working last week, and I, I just wanted to listen to one of his messages. So I, I, I don't YouTube or something, I don't know, pulled up a message. And, and he, was, um, he was being interviewed by that, uh, that Paul Crouches, I think it was, but his, his younger son and, and that guy's wife, and they were interviewing Brother Hagen and his wife. And Brother Hagen that time was in his 80s then. And, uh, and I remember listening to him. He said, he said, well, I hadn't had a headache. And like, I mean, it was, like, it was just ridiculous. And he said, I ain't had a headache in 40 years. 
I mean, that makes me want to thank Brother Hagin lying when I hear that, you know, because I mean, everybody had a headache. And so the guy asked him, you know, probed that a little bit. And he, you know, he's talking about just walking in faith. But what he was talking about, he, he said, you, you mean tell me you never had a headache? He said, not one that I kept. <laughs> he said, oh, I've, I've had where the pain that hit me or something like that. And he said, I go, no, no, you don't. No, you don't, you know. And then they talked about Brother Hagin's wife. She got diagnosed with cancer. And she said it was just devastating her. She's married to the, pray, the faith guy, you know. And, uh, and then they asked Brother Hagin, what do you think about when your wife got diagnosed with, with, with breast cancer and all that cancer and stuff? He said, well, it don't make you feel good. <laughs> he said, but you know, he said she didn't develop her faith. She tried to live off of mine. And he said, you, everybody has got to develop their own faith and confidence in God. He said, now God delivered her, and she gave testimony sitting on that couch that she was totally free and never had any recurrence of it or anything like that. But Brother Hagin said, sometimes people try to write off somebody else's faith. And, and so you exercise faith. You exercise it like you exercise a muscle. And you have confidence in God. But the confidence is not in your prayer or your worthiness or your goodness. It's in him. And I don't want any of you wasting time like I did sometimes. There'd be things I would battle with as a believer. And then I would just have this thought, and it was because so many people were saying so many wrong things to me. But like, I would just say, God, do I have a demon? Do, do I have something? I mean, you know, well, he may not be in you, but he could be on you. I mean, whatever. I don't understand all that. I thought greater is he than in me, than he that's in the world. And when I realized that, all, that I didn't have no demon, that wasn't what's causing that struggle in that area of my life. It was I didn't know the truth. And if I did know it, I knew it up here, but I didn't believe it in here. And when you begin to believe the truth, then I, it makes confidence in your prayer. I appreciate people praying. I don't think I wouldn't get people praying if there was something going on. But I, I do not do that because I think that God will be swayed by the numbers. That's a wrong view of God. I see it all the time on Facebook where people have a tragedy and they're trying to get as many people they can to pray because they think that's going to be the ticket to getting it answered. Do you know that almost makes tears run down my eyes because the thought of them suffering like that and their view of God is that messed up. That knowing that just their, their being a child of a loving father can look up and not get it all right and not got to say the exact right words or just say, Daddy, help. And that's all you got to do, man. And he's there. Well, it didn't turn out like, I don't have answers to all that. But don't blame him. He's not the source of your pain, your trauma, or your hurt. You don't have a demon. Now, if you're here and you're not born again, you might have one. You could be like that dude in the Bible. He had like 20,000 or that legion guy, 60,000. But you know, Jesus cast 60,000 demons out of that guy with just a word. 60,000. 60,000. How can you walk around with 60,000? That's a lot of luggage. 60,000, but the guy wasn't born again. He got born again after they got them demons out of there. But Jesus said, if you're going to get somebody delivered. I told you I had a, a lady, and it, I pre she was demon-possessed. 
And I just, all I asked her in that meeting, I don't tell the whole story, I just said, are you born again? And she said, yes. And, I, and, and God said, no, she's not. And anyway, as I asked her, she, she just started screaming. She spit on my clothes. This is a church right here in Balaosi, Georgia. I didn't go there that Sunday morning to get spit on. Wasn't even my church. But that demon showed up, showed out. And she spit on my clothes. And uh, everybody that was around me all of a sudden started gave me lots of room for prayer. Because <laughs> this woman was acting up. And she started screaming and just acting like an animal. And I grabbed her by one arm. Pastor, the other pastor of the church grabbed her by the other arm and, we, and she went down to the floor. And I just said, in the name of Jesus, I command you tormenting spirit to come out of the woman. That's all I said. I didn't have to scream it. Devils are not scared because you raised volume. Oh, they're shouting. They, it's not the shout or the tone or the volume. It's the authority that you carry because you've been gifted that authority in Jesus. And I just said, in the name of Jesus, I command the tormenting spirit to come out of the woman. I didn't wait to see if she vomited. I didn't wait to see if she looked like it come out of her. I didn't ask her how she felt. I said, let's stand her up. And I said, all right, let's go back to my prayer. Receive Jesus as your Savior. And she received Christ right there in that spot as her Lord and Savior, um, baptized in the Spirit of the Lord. And then she asked the pastor of the church, could she hold the microphone for a moment and give and say something? And uh, that makes pastors so nervous when people do that. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, that's when fear comes upon us because you don't know what they're going to say. But uh, anyway, so he, gave, he, he said, I'll hold the mic. He said, I'll hold the mic. <laughs> that's always wise. So he held the mic and he stuck it in her and she said, I hate, she looked at that pastor, not me, she that pastor. She said, I hated you, and I hated this church. And my 19-year-old daughter comes here, and I don't like it that she came here. I'm thinking, like, this is not going good. But no, I, I, I'm, I'm joking. You could tell by what she was saying that, that it, was, it was good, and she was broken. But she said, and, I, and my daughter insisted that I come today. And, and, and so I reluctantly came. She just started weeping and crying, and she was looking at that pastor, and she said, but I don't hate you anymore. I love you, and I love Jesus, and I'm so glad I came today and received Christ. Come on, give God praise for that. Now, I just want to say this about the goodness of God. That was on a Sunday morning. My wife would tell you that on that previous Wednesday, in my time with the Lord, I heard the Lord, I believe with all my heart, with clarity, speak to me. And you know what he said? It wasn't something that I was even praying about or wanted to hear. He said this to me. He said, Dale, demons are going to begin manifesting in your meetings. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and Jill would remember it was so strong on me that that was a word from God. That on that Wednesday night, we had Wednesday night service those day, and so that Wednesday night after the service, I met, uh, her, she was standing there, and I had one of my elders and his wife, and I told them all, those three that, you remember? Because I thought the way God does, you know, God says something, you won't see it for like four years or something. So I'm thinking like way in the future, you know, demons might show up. And I wanted that elder because he sat on the front row, you know, uh, <laughs> like Ron, so I wanted some help if something, you know, went down. 
So I was telling that elder that, and I said, you know, just something happens, you know, you, you, be, you be ready. I had no clue that as I would go as a visiting speaker the following Sunday that, that that word would come to pass. But you know what that tells me more than anything? How much Father loved that woman. That woman was being tormented by demon spirits, and God says, I love her so much that I spoke to you on Wednesday and I told you these things are going to happen and on Sunday it happened and through me I have gifted you the authority to take that and command that thing to leave her and she, and she received Jesus, she received Christ and, and, and one of the most beautiful things is and then when she said that little testimony that 19 year old daughter was standing right behind mom had her hand on her shoulder the whole time and I want to tell you when mom went to the floor that daughter didn't go nowhere she was still standing right by her mama and when they got through they was hugging and had their arms wrapped around one another. See, that's the kingdom of God has come. That, that, that's what Jesus came to do. And I don't care what degree or whatever, you know, you torment. Listen, if, if you've been having any dreams of torment, you don't have to have that. You don't have to put up with that. Don't accept it. Don't sit there with your mouth closed like it don't, you ain't got no say in it. Stand and enforce the victory that Jesus gave you. What if I do that and, uh, and another one? See, already you're already backpedaling when you ask me that. You're already backpedaling right there. As soon as you ask me that question, what if I do it and it don't work? See, you don't have faith in him. And that's okay. We're all growing. But stop backpedaling. Why don't you start saying, quit asking what if it don't? What if it do? <laughs> Amen. I want you to stand with me. Do you receive it today? Come on, would you give God praise for it? My elders, community group leaders, pastors come. Community group leaders, we're here to pray for you. We're not going to hold you long, but we're here to pray for you if you want it and desire prayer. We're always here to pray with you and for you. Just, just if you just, you know, talk to you. We're not going to counsel you down front today, but we will pray with you. And, uh, and we do counsel. We believe in counseling. We believe it's beneficial. But listen, just believe the truth. I know in my heart, some of you, you've questioned that. I wonder if I have a demon. I wonder if I need, in other words, see, to me, this is what made me feel so hopeless as a Christian. Okay, so here I am a Christian. I'm a believer. I know I'm saved. Yet I thought I might have a demon on board somehow. And maybe that's why I can't get free. And so my only hope to getting free, listen, was to find the right person that had enough authority that he could lay his hands on me and get me delivered. And who is that person? And who, where do you go? And what meeting do you go to? And what town do you go to? And what appointment do you set? And how do you get to see these powerful people? You see how hopeless that is? And so I would spend time going to meetings where I thought powerful speakers were. And I just told God, I said, God, I'd rather hear you rebuke me publicly than to not hear your voice at all. I just want to hear you, Father. I want to, and I didn't know what Jesus had really accomplished at the cross. I didn't know that he had defeated and disarmed the enemy and he had paraded him and I had missed the parade. Jesus was saying, son, you don't have to fear him no more because he can't bring a weapon against you. The only thing he has is lies and don't believe him. I've disarmed him. I've defeated him. And I've pulled down every principality, power, and ruler. They have no authority to take anybody into bondage any longer. For now I have the keys 
I've gifted you now with keys to the kingdom. And what these keys are, some of you see as keys to unlocking this and for yourself. Those keys are for you to go to those prisons and unlock the cells of those people who don't know the truth, who think they're being held against their will. But you use the keys of the kingdom of God, the good news, and you loose them. You set them free in the name of Jesus. And say, have you not heard? Our enemy's been defeated. The bondage has been broken. Chains are no more. Come on. Walk out of this lie. I told God this morning in prayer at my home, I said, Father, oh, let it be today like it was in the book of Acts. In Acts 16, when there was a display of your power in that Philippian jail. Oh, God, display power again before us. That, because when that jailer experienced your power, he saw it, he witnessed it. The first thing out of his mouth was to Paul, what must I do to be saved? God helped this world again to see the power of God in your people. That power released and that power manifested. Power in our words because they're your words. Power in our actions because we have confidence in our Savior. And let them see and experience the power of God. And let them ask us again, what must I do to be saved? And let our response be true to the Bible. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and your household. God, let that be our word. Let that be our portion. Let this people display in word and deed, the power of God that's on the inside. For the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwelleth within thee. That's the power that you possess. The power that you have. You don't need more power. You need to believe in the power that you've been given. Stand in the confidence thereof. Stand in the glory thereof. Stand and speak what God would give you to speak in that moment. Take no thought what you will say. But speak what God says. For I am not only with you, but I am in you. God, let that power come forth. Let us shake ourselves from religious, perfunctual form without power. And God, let us stand without fear, but stand in faith. Let us behold your face in a new way with confidence, good conscience, faith in you, faith in your word. It won't return void. I bless this people today in your name, Lord. And I praise you for the gift of salvation and all that was gifted to us. I praise you for it. Now I want you to walk out of here today and act like it. Live like it. Talk like it. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Oh, we love him. Don't we love him? Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. Grace Point. You're dismissed. Hey, you guys want prayer? Come this way. God bless you. Shake somebody's hand, especially if they're new to our church. Welcome them today. Let them know how much we love and care for them. God bless you. If you want prayer, we're waiting on you. Please come up. We're here to pray with you.